I think we all have the same purpose as Christians. And that purpose is to glorify the Lord, is to be Christ-like. We're here to be light to the world. And so all of us have that calling. We're all here as ministers. And so we are to minister to others and be light and salt. So I think that is purpose. We all have the same purpose. But the calling is the specific task or specific assignment that God wants an individual to do. In my case, it's the work of prison prevention in this area of nonprofits, and specifically to do reading and some other services we'll be offering. I believe a calling is in addition to the purpose. The purpose is follow after Jesus, be light, be salt. But the calling is what specific role you are to carry out. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. My conversation with guest Janet Liggins is one where I immediately felt a connection. And maybe it was the way that you could see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in her eyes. And you know those people. There is a light in their eyes. Maybe it was her warm and friendly countenance or the wisdom that she so easily shared. But I love how diversity finds unity in Christ. Janice is a child of God, and she's also an author, a civic leader, founder of a nonprofit, TV show host, and a granny. She has published a book titled Journey to Your Calling, The Path to Receive the Desires of Your Heart. So our conversation centers around what does it look like to find your calling? What is the difference between a purpose and a calling? What type of desire does God fulfill? Is it our own personal wish list? The fact that it can be very scary when God interrupts our life and redirects, and how do we know it's God closing doors versus people just being people with all our brokenness complicating life? Janice shares her story of how God interrupted her life to redirect her into her calling. She gives examples of what it looked like for him to move her from where she was in a successful business that he'd been blessing and into a place where he closes the business and points her toward a topic, an issue that she knew nothing about. She talks about how God began to lay the groundwork in her life or to pique her interest a couple of years before he actually made his move to shift her into this new place. We discussed how God never wastes anything that we've already put our hand to or been through or learned. He never wastes a thing. He only builds on it. We talked about the result of her responding to God's leading, this shifting or redirecting and and uncertainty, and what she discovered, her calling. And she says it's the most fulfilling work she's ever experienced to date. And it's her nonprofit, The Clarion Call. We also talked about how this meaningful work is impacting her community. And then we briefly touched on her book, Journey to Your Calling. She's getting ready to be a journey coach as a companion to the book because Janice says it's indeed a journey. In her book, she leads you through seven major progressions of spiritual growth and development that we must all go through with the Lord on our journey to identifying and walking in our calling. And you can find her book on Amazon, but if you order directly from her website, Janice will autograph it for you. And plus, it's a direct and personal connection with the author. And that means something with regard to connection and community, something God has built us for. Listen in as Janice shares her journey into her calling. And then if you so desire, order her book so that you can walk fully in yours. I get no benefits from your purchase, just the satisfaction of knowing that you're digging deeper into the heart of God for all that he has for you. Hello, Janice. Thank you so much for being a guest today on my show. I'm excited to talk about what it means to have a calling. What does it mean for God to have a calling on your life? But before we get to that point, 
I want listeners to have the opportunity to hear a little bit about your story. And we're going to drop right down into it in the midst of your thriving business. So welcome, Janice. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. I appreciate being here. I was a business development consultant, and I was working with companies who wanted to do business with the federal government. I would go into the various agencies and identify contract opportunities and convince the buyer that this is the company that you you should hire and would introduce them and, and had some pretty good success with it for years. I mean, that's all I did, basically, all my career. And I also got accepted into, I should say, an organization called Leadership Maryland. That's statewide. They pull together 52 leaders from around the state. And it's a pretty much of a commitment to be in it because it's a year-long program. You pack your bags every month and you're gone two and a half days a month. I was born and raised in Maryland, but there's still parts I've never been in. So it was really good to experience that, but you get to know some intimate corners of the of the state and the differences and the similarities and so forth. During 2010, the business was thriving, and, and that's the only no. reason I could pay to be in this program because it was over $7,000 just to participate. But things started falling in the business. It's like doors, everything that looked like I was ready to just explode to the next level instead things were just closing all around me and so i i liken it to when peter was walking on the water he was doing fine as long as he's walking on the water and kept both eyes on jesus but the minute he looked at his situation meaning looked down and noticed he was walking on the water that's when he began to sink and so i knew this was a huge test, a huge trial for me. And I just knew I had to keep both eyes on Jesus. I couldn't pay attention to what was going on around me. So you've got a thriving business. You've got six employees. You are doing well. You find an interest in Leadership Maryland where you can contribute and bring positive change or positive influence in the Maryland area. So everything's going well. All of a sudden it shifts. God starts closing doors. And I'm going to say God, because everything has to be filtered through God. So God has been giving you favor. Now God is closing doors. And what are you saying to God right now when this thriving business starts to shrivel, if you will, because the doors are closing? I was asking him, show me what to do. And I was hearing nothing as it relates to the business. However, Two years before I got into Leadership Maryland, meaning 2008 and 2009, I began to be in a state of perception like never before, where wherever I went, if I looked around me, I just kept sensing something is wrong. Something is wrong. And meaning basically something was wrong with Black men. And it was pervasive, but I had no clue what it was. Everywhere I looked, I just kept sensing that something was wrong. So in 2008, someone suggested to me, a colleague, he had been a client, and he says, Janice, you should do Leadership Maryland. I think you'll like it. And I thought, no. And then the next year, a female client said, Janice, you should do Leadership Maryland. I said, you know, somebody else said that. So I decided to try it out. And I became a fellow in the class of 2010. I know God orchestrated that. And the way I know he orchestrated it is because I didn't even have to interview. Everybody else had to interview. Two board members knew me and recommended me. But more importantly, the first day we got together, all 52 of us, the first day we ever met, the facilitator says for us to tell everybody in the room something about ourselves that nobody in the room knew. Someone said, I want to climb Kilimanjaro, or I want to do this, or I did this. And when he got to me and asked me, Janice, well, tell us something about yourself nobody knows. I said, I love to be led by the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what I was going to say, but I certainly didn't think I was going to say that because I didn't know those people. This was right. my church. And, but I just, I just sensed, Lord, okay, it came up and it came out. So I figured, Lord, okay, we're on. And so he says, oh, so you love to be led by the Holy Spirit. And why is that? And I said, because it's always an adventure. And so while I didn't know what was going on on the business side, I did not understand. I was frantically trying to hold on. But while it was crumbling, I was seeing this bright spot over here on the other side with Leadership Maryland. So I focused on the good. 
Because in the midst of every bad situation, no matter how bad the situation is, there's always something good. And if we focus on the good, that's where God is. And that's what that's, that will keep our heads lifted up. That will, that will give us the strength we need to keep going. And so while the business was crumbling, I saw God at work over here in Leadership Maryland. Let me ask you a quick question. A minute ago, you said God was silent. And I've had God do that with me before. And he doesn't speak. And you're just wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? Lord, I'm asking wait. you to direct me. Wait. What did you get out of that? Just wait. It's always got to be in his timing. I've had God push pause on me. During Leadership Maryland, I got to visit the first time to a prison. I didn't know the difference between a jail or a prison or where one was located. And I was actually very proud of that fact that I didn't know that pride is blinding. I was proud of the fact that I didn't know the difference, but because of that, I was blind as a bat to what was going on right under my nose. And so as it turned out, the experience in Leadership Maryland was one that I will never forget because when we went into the prison, all the two of us went to the prison, they gave us an intimate tour of the prison. Each we bro- They broke us up into small groups of six and each group of six had an officer escort us through. And we went into the control room and we could see these monitors where you could see all the guys walking in and out. And the officer was pushing buttons and opening doors. And I said, I want to go in. And so when we got into the cell, I looked at the officer and I said, close the door. And he says, are you sure, man? And I said, close the door. And when I heard the clink of that cell door closing, my life changed. In that instant, in that moment, my life changed. Were you making a connection between what was wrong with the African-American men and the jail cell? There were gentlemen being escorted, at least five different guys who were being at, at separate individually, being escorted either in or out. As they walked past us, I would speak because he looked like my brother, he looked like my cousin, looked like my neighbor, looked like the guys in my church, looked like the guys when I go to the store. And I thought everybody in prison was a monster. They don't look like monsters. And so that intrigued me. When I went into the cell, I think God orchestrated me being in that program, in Leadership Maryland, by having my two business colleagues recommend to me and then having somebody on the board nominate me. Then God, on the first day of orientation, has me say, you know, I love being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, what that did, most everybody else was in the program to network, make business contacts, you know, and I wasn't. I was there to be in a state of perception because I knew God was showing me something. I was friendly and I wanted to get to know everybody, but I wasn't trying to network. I was trying to perceive. I was trying to discern. Everywhere we went throughout the state, I saw something that either confirmed the fact that there was something wrong or I saw a resource that I could tap. God had had orchestrated me to start the business, but now he was, I believe, drawing me into my calling. I thought the business was what I was going to do, but I know clearly that he had this Leadership Maryland program going at the same time, and it was really a beacon of hope for me during that time. I mean, I, I did the Daniel Fast four times in 2010, because so much was happening. I just needed, I needed to focus on Jesus. And so for me, that meant fasting. And that's what got me through. So God interrupts what you thought you would be doing, you know, as a job, a successful business. He interrupts that. He shuts the doors. It sounds like the business did come to a close. He reroutes your direction, but now he's calling you into, or he's drawing you into your calling. And I think that's very interesting, or at least a point to make, because I know that when I'm working with God, I expect it to feel good and be good and look good because he's good. But here's an example. And also in my own life with the loss of my husband, when it doesn't feel good, and there's a lot of questions behind this interruption and then this rerouting, and it's scary. Talk to me about some of the fears that you had in going from a business into a nonprofit. Well, it wasn't a fear. It was not actually, I never feared. God has told me to do things for the first time. And they were big things. 
It's like put on the Special Olympic World Games, carry out all the role of the sponsorship in those games. They had me do, always would tell me to do things. I never feared or worried because I figured if God says do it, he'll lead me through it. Amen. And so I took it on. I did get concerned about the business because everything was like right at the brink of really exploding into this much, a whole nother wrong. And I thought it was at first the people just being mean or doing whatever. I didn't see it as God closing doors at the time, in the beginning. That's why it seems so traumatic to me. Because I didn't see it as God closing doors. I just thought it was just people not cooperating. People <laughs> being people. People being people. When God pushes pause, you, we have to just do now what we know now to do. We may not know the next step. We may not know what God's plan is, but we know to pray. We know to be righteous. We know to, to seek the Lord. And I have had two different instances. I had God push pause. And in each case, it was 18 months before I got an answer. So, you know, I didn't decide, well, I'm going to go do my own thing. Or I'm going to go do this. Plan. I have a plan B. I'm going to go do my plan B. No, you have to just sit and be still and be quiet and know that he is God. That is a huge challenge for me to sit, to walk with him, to walk at his pace, not to get ahead of him, not be lagging behind, but to be in his pace. That is a huge challenge for me. But that's where you know, we hear people talk about um, being in their comfort zone. The real comfort zone is in the will of God. Which sometimes is not comfortable. <laughs> for me, it has become the most comfortable place I would ever want to be. I just went through a period where I was so busy that I, I was on autopilot. I got up, I did A, B, C, D, I had my to-do list. I didn't do my morning devotions as I cautioned people to do. And so I found myself doing, but I didn't sense God doing through me. And there's a big difference. It, the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's one thing when we're working in our own skills and abilities, but it's a totally different thing when the Lord is working through us or the, when the Lord is speaking through us. There's a, there's a holy boldness. There's a confidence. There's a comfort that comes with that. I just had to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I mean, I would speak to him all day long. What should I do about this? What should I do about that? How should I handle this? I, but, but still that quiet time, Intimacy. That, that intimate prayer start the morning with it. I had to just pray because I could sit, I could tell I was on autopilot. And autopilot is not, I don't like it. Yeah, it stresses you out, or at least it starts adding that stress. And I get in phases of that. And then you're like, okay, get back to where you were because you know you're out here stressing yourself and adding anxiety. So you're doing something wrong. But I will say this while it's not comfortable yet. It is peaceful. Like I have an underlying peace that he's taking care of things. Yeah. He's taking care of me, but I don't. And I like to plan. And so the Lord knows that about me. And I think that's probably why maybe, I don't know, that I have, that I get antsy and I have to recenter myself because yes. I'm out there doing, 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 and not being with yes. him. And so. that's important. It's important because if he is holding things up for what he only knows, maybe why, but it's always for our good. Good example, my family owns eight acres of land, uh, just four miles from, I grew up four miles from where I live now. And my parents left us eight acres of land. And we've, we were looking at talking to developers and engineers and architects and so forth. Now it's like one chunk of land, but we wanted to see how many lots we could get out of it. And we could get 23 lots. And we were ready to take the, that paper to the county and record it with the county, record those 23 lots. And I didn't go. I was, I'm the business manager for the family. And I thought, Lord, why am I not called? Why am I not taking this to the county? Why am I not doing this? And one month, two months, three months, four months, the family never questioned me, but the Lord never said what to do. As it turned out, that was right around the same time, 2008, 2009, was the recession, great recession. 
Had we recorded those lots with the county, because the land is a chunk of land, eight acre chunk, it's taxed as raw land. And the tax rate is much lower. Had we recorded those lots, those 23 lots with the county, instead of paying tax on a chunk of raw land, we would have paid $4,000 per lot. We were paying 8,000 on the whole eight acres. Right, wow. So imagine we would have paid four times 23. And yeah. and at that, we would have lost our property for property taxes. Must and so that's why he pushed pause. And I was, I didn't see it for 18 months. So we have to just trust God. Yeah. And so I, I don't say that I'm comfortable in that holding pattern, but I've learned to hold. I've learned to be content. Comfortable and content is two different things. Talk to me a little bit about the difference between content and comfortable. Well, he says that we're to be content in whatsoever state we are in. So it doesn't matter what's going on around you. We are to be content because the Bible also says, um, in all things give thanks because this is the will of God concerning you. So whatever is happening, we have to know that God has our back, that God has our best interest at heart, and he's going to see us through. Comfortable is when everything works out the way you want. And content means however things are, you're still going to glorify the Lord. You're still going to praise his name. So looking at the territory we've traveled right here together, you and I, thriving business, got favor with God, got favor with man. You even look into Leadership Maryland, where you can make a positive impact and influence in the state Maryland. At the same time or near about that same time, God starts closing doors and the business uh, does not move to that next realm that you were on the precipice of. It now crumbles. God gives you leadership, Maryland, and you're in a prison cell. One of the jail guards closes the cell on you. You have a moment with the Lord as far as you felt that door Yes. close and your life change. Yes. So talk to me about how your nonprofit came about the Clarion Call. So that was in July of 2010. And then October, we were doing a review, basically, of the year. And we all got together and each one of us who wanted to pose a question to our class, we could write it out on this huge, big sticky paper. And they would post it to the wall. My question was, how did the prison visit impact you? So this was October, but I'm still remembering the impact from July. All 52 people had to participate. One of the gentlemen burst out crying like a baby. I don't mean just a tear. I mean, he was, I mean, everybody in the whole ballroom could hear him. At that moment, I knew something was taking place. In the circle, everybody's head was either, they were either wiping their eyes from where they were crying or their head was down. So that's, that was on a Friday. And that Sunday evening at home, I sat at my computer and I said, anytime you see a room full of people have an emotional reaction to one singular topic, you're witnessing the genesis of an assignment a clarion call to action. And I sent that out to my classmate and I had some other things written. And the next day, Monday, my mail email was blowing up. Sign me up. I accept the call. Sign me up. So because I said you're witnessing a clarion call to action, my classmates started naming it the clarion call. So that's how the nonprofit got its name. And so we're all about prison prevention, how to help people understand how to stay away from and not get caught in the traps because there there are laws there are all kinds of traps to actually get people in prison and and unfortunately most of those are used in the black community then you have a statistic whether it was your research or you found research that says if there is a family member who is already incarcerated that next generation is likely to have an incarceration as well is that true it's very true because it makes it it makes it more normal. If you know somebody, it, it makes it not a bad thing. And in some communities, it's almost a rite of passage. It, it's so bad. In addition to that, our our Maryland 
and not just Maryland, every state in the country is doing it. Um, they're promoting kids through school, whether they have learned to read or not. Well, how can you, how can you survive as an adult if you cannot read? Reading, writing, talking, speaking, those right. are basic communication right. skills. Every state does it. Every state does it. That's sad. And, and a lot of the prisons are privately run and they, they are in business for profit. They said, well, we know, Mr. Governor, we know that you guys need help. We can make a more efficient operation of your prisons if you just pay us. We'll run everything and you just pay us. But you have to guarantee us a certain minimum, a 90% minimum. The beds have to be filled 90%. Well, how can a governor get guarantee that the prison beds are going to be filled 90%? They make stupid little laws, gotcha laws, and so people go to jail for traffic, for your taillights out. And that company actually began to sue states when states couldn't keep up with the 90% bed fill. The company was suing the states. Really? Wow, what an evil little circle there. There are judges who were in cahoots with juvenile detention centers and were sending kids to the detention center. It was all in the news. It was all in the news. He was getting millions locking up kids when what god told abraham to leave all that was familiar and go to this far distant land i will show you and that's what he did with me he had me leave the business and the government contracting world and go into this world that i had no knowledge of of prisons and jails and mass incarceration and nonprofits. and so i took 2011 the whole year from january to december I sat at my desk and all I did was research for a solid year. And at the end of that year, I had enough information. I went from knowing nothing to being to, to a presenter, a speaker, where I put together a PowerPoint presentation and I went all around the county and the state speaking. So I went from not knowing anything to almost, I won't say being a subject matter expert, but you could call it that. Got a lot of research behind you. So, yeah, I don't know whether it's my personal experience, but I have heard it a couple of times. It's God wastes nothing about your background or what, what you've been through, whether it's job or personal experiences. When he calls you into something new, there's another learning curve to that. And it sounds like that was your experience as well. He didn't waste anything you'd already done or had or knew, but yet he calls you into this place where now you got to learn everything almost from scratch. Well, it's very true. It's like there's the real estate industry, the automotive industry, the housing industry. Well, there's also the prison industry. And I knew nothing. I had never heard of the prison industry. I knew nothing about it. I knew, couldn't tell you the difference between a jail or prison or where one was located. So I had to learn that. But the business acumen and how to do the presentations and how to put it together, I, you know, that was my experience. So I I didn't have any problem with that. So one of my former board chairs said to me one time, he says, Janice, you do more with nothing than other nonprofits do fully funded. But that was because of my business acumen. I was doing most of the work because I knew how to do it. And so I was putting on presentations. I had done events and also I knew how to put on the events and I have volunteers, you know, working with me, but I knew how to do that. A lot of that you're right. He doesn't waste anything. Everything I've ever done. I've trained before, so that came in handy. Even with the nonprofit, I'm training people. We have volunteers to help kids read, and I train them on how to do that. So nothing has gone to waste. In 2011, you do all of this research. When was the Clarion Call born? I filed papers in December 2011. I filed my incorporation papers but as a nonprofit, I even wrote my own nonprofit application and had never done that before. When I filed the nonprofit papers, they approved it in 21 days. People say they've never heard of it. Usually it's six months, nine months. They turned my uh, approval around in 21 days. The same guy who had burst out crying when we were in Leadership Maryland, he gave us our first grant. Did he really? And the reason he was crying is because he said, Janice, when I saw the itinerary in the beginning, 
of where we were going to go over the years with Leadership Maryland. I was excited about every place we were going to go, except that prison. I was concerned about going to the prison because I was afraid I'd run into some of the guys that I used to hang out with. We all hung out in Baltimore. We all did the same thing. They got caught and I didn't. And he was now a senior executive with Northrop Grumman. It was a really interesting transition for me. And it still is. And I have to tell you, I'm still learning the nonprofit world. We're serving kids, helping them read. We've had kids in the fifth grade, but reading at the second grade level. And in six months, we had them go from second grade reading to seventh grade reading. That's impressive. Do you ever feel like there's just too many kids and you can't help them all? Do you get discouraged? No, I don't. I've had people say, well, doesn't it frustrate you? Doesn't it depress you? Every time you look, it's something else. And I said, no, on the contrary. It doesn't, it does not depress me at all. Instead, it invigorates me. It fuels me. It makes me try that much harder because I see, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) You know, it so just makes me want to work that much harder. I think because it is my calling, I think God, he built me to be able to handle this. I don't think I could do this on my own. If I just thought about it and wanted to do it, I don't think I could do it. When I think about what's possible with that kind of attitude, you are a powerhouse. Can you isolate anything that you can share with my listeners today through that, that has happened for the Clarion Calling? God gave me a plan to do the a reading program. That same board chair who told me, Janice, you've done more with nothing than other nonprofits done fully funded. When I proposed doing a reading program, he said, nah, don't do reading. Don't do reading. It'll just distract you. And so in listening to the board chair, we didn't. That was the second time he pushed pause, by the way. That was also 18 months. So he showed me a plan for a reading program. And I began to speak and tell everybody we're doing this. People came and they they signed up and I trained them. This was in the middle of COVID. And so we were 100% virtual. And I told them, I don't have a template for you to follow. I don't have anyone that you can shadow because all I have is God's vision. All I have is the vision God showed me. And if God showed me the vision, that's all we need. When we launched the program, each one of them reached out to their students, just as I had asked them to do. Everything was so beautiful. And they did, they were so brave to do it that I gave them each an engraved glass coffee mug with their names engraved on it. And I call them all trailblazers because they didn't have a template. So now when we get new people who want to work with kids, now they have somebody that they can shadow to see how it's done. The trailblazers, all they have was my vision. And so that was extremely fulfilling. That was, that was really fulfilling. That does sound like an exciting experience, an exciting time, even just another, in my opinion, step up to add this to the Clarion Call and to make this available to youth. What are the ages that you work with? We start at third grade. We can do earlier if the parent is committed to sitting there with the child because the kindergartners, they're they're fidgety and having their attention any more than 10 minutes is a lot. Second graders we can do if it's a mature second grader. Usually we start third grade. That's when they realize, that's when parents begin to realize there's a problem with they really, we encourage parents to work with a child from birth, yeah. reading to the child. I would imagine that not being able to read is isolation, or at least it creates isolation. And that in itself is a jail cell in many yes. ways. Yes, yes. From kindergarten to third grade, children are learning to read. And then from fourth grade on, students are reading to learn. Well, how can a student read to learn? if they still have not learned to read. And the school systems continue to promote the kids to the next grade and next grade. We had a, we had a boy who was in the fourth grade and the learning coach approached me and she says, the family's asking, can we start in our kindergarten? And I said, well, no, we cannot. If he's in the fourth grade, we have to put him in our system in the fourth grade. Our system has diagnostics built into it. So I said, let the system does do what it does. And so she put him in registered him in our system in the fourth grade. They started their first session and at fourth grade material. 
And then after a little bit of a few questions, it ticked him down to third grade. A few more questions, it ticked him down to second grade. Then it ticked him down to first grade. And the hour was up. They got back together the next session at first grade. And it, it sure enough, ticked him down to kindergarten. Now, but the school had him in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And now he's in the fifth grade. We were helping him with his short vowel sounds. Short vowel sounds, and he was in the fourth grade. How can he understand fifth grade material when he can barely understand first grade material? Eventually, he's going to be 18, and he's not going to be in school anymore. Employers want basic skills to communicate, self-starter in the sense that you read directions for something or you read an email type thing. So, yeah, that's just basic. Wow. So the Clarion Call is thriving and doing really well. God is blessing, opening doors, bringing in volunteers. And that's all huge when you're trying to run a nonprofit. Let's move on to your book, Journey to Your Calling, The Path to Receive the Desires of Your Heart. I'm thinking of two things. I hear the word calling, then I hear the word desires. And I know that as believers, we can start off right away with Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But I think we misinterpret or maybe we miss some of the depth of that verse when we think that God will give us what we want. Can you talk to me a little bit about how these desires that God wants to give us are not just our want list? It is not at all. Our want list. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we want. When that scripture says God will give us the desires of our heart, it means he will plant the desire in our heart for us to want to do what it is he purposed us to do. So remember 2008 and 2009 when I was going through that state of spiritual discernment? And I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. That was God planting his desire in my heart to do the work of prison prevention. That's why he orchestrated me to be in Leadership Maryland, because he knew I would be able to have that experience at the prison. God is purposeful in that sense, as far as moving you forward, putting you in places that you get connected up with people, ideas, and things. I'm like you in the sense that When we spend that intimate time with the Lord, we discover his heart for us. And in doing so, we want to please him. I get excited about things that God wants to share with me. And that to me is when I discover a desire that he has for my life because it is something that pleases his heart. Talk to me a little bit about the difference between a calling and your purpose, or is it the same thing? I think we all have the same purpose as Christians. And that purpose is to glorify the Lord, is to be Christ-like. We're here to be light to the world. And so all of us have that calling. We're all here as ministers. And so we are to minister to others and be light and salt. So I think that is purpose. We all have the same purpose. But the calling is the specific task or specific assignment that God wants an individual to do. In my case, it's the work of prison prevention in this area of nonprofits, and specifically to do reading and some other services we'll be offering. I believe a calling is in addition to the purpose. The purpose is follow after Jesus, be light, be salt. But the calling is what specific role you are to carry out. I sometimes group those two things together, and I think it's important that we make that differentiation. When I think about walking into your calling in life, we want to make things happen on our own. And maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I do that a lot. But how can we know that it's our calling. How is there anything that we can be in tune with God over? Is there a feeling? Is there a confirmation from the Lord? Do you think it's the uniqueness with how he created us and how he speaks to us? Well, for me, it was riveting. It was it was that riveting experience I went through. 2010, even in the book, I say it was beautiful, yet tumultuous. 
So beautiful on this whip where God was working, but tumultuous with everything crumbling. For me, it was very clear. I mean, doors were slamming all over the place. You're supposed to try your best. If you're doing your best and stuff is still closing, then you have to recognize maybe God's doing something here. But what kept me going again was the experience I was having during Leadership Now. I saw God in that. Once I started 2011 doing the research and learning all about mass incarceration, I was compelled. I was like the Energizer Bunny. I could all I, I could do nothing else. I I was literally compelled to do this. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to. It's not that I wanted to do it. I just had to do it. That's a good way to put it. For me, when God interrupted my life with the death of my husband and then rerouted where I was going and gave me an interest in podcasting, I felt peace about it and I felt drawn to it. One of the things that the Lord did for me was that I found comfort in other people's stories because people were trying to share their pain and grief. I like to say, hey, this is what happened to me. And it would encourage my heart. So I thought, well, how much more can I encourage others' hearts with people's stories? Wonderful. So God drew me with that particular angle, interest, comfort. When we are walking out our calling, what are some of the things that we can look for when we start to work in our own strength? What does that look like when we're doing things on our own? Exhausting. You'll notice that it's you and not God, because when it's God, it's effortless. And when I say effortless, you have to work. You have to apply yourself, but it just keeps coming. He just keeps giving it to you. He just keeps feeding you and fueling you to do it. No matter how busy the schedule, no matter how hectic the schedule, you'll have the grace to be able to go through. I have actually gone through days where, I mean, right at my desk, from one thing to the other, at a breathless pace, checking off one thing after the other, but I don't feel exhausted and tired at the end of the day. I feel, I feel productive. It's a good feeling. There is a level of anxiety that enters in when I start doing stuff on my own. There's also a lack of peace. I no longer have that peaceful countenance about me or peaceful mindset. And that is when I start realizing, okay, wait, hold on, back up, pause, because you are out here doing something on your own. Where did you lose him? Go back and find him. (laughs) It's going to happen to everybody at some point or the other, more frequently for some than others. But the beauty is the realization and the recognition that I, you know, I'm off of that straight and narrow, or I, or I'm doing this now on my own, or this is the way I chose, but is this what God wants? And so people, I mean, that's part of being human. That's just what we have to realize and accept, or at least be nice to ourselves about it and then get oriented with, with God again, with Jesus. This may still have something to do with what we're talking about. How could we keep from walking into a counterfeit calling? Well, allow the Lord to lead us. I mean, that's the only way. Ask God about everything. Ask God who should I work with? How should we work? When should we help? Ask God 50 million questions. There's no stupid question. Just ask him. I ask God about everything. So the most important thing is to make sure we are not doing what we want to do and saying it's what God wants us to do. Because that's two different worlds. Not just two different things. That's two different worlds. God says your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. God will call you. He will tell you what he wants you to do. In order to, to, to get to that point, um, we have to go through a lot of, God needs to know if he can trust us with certain responsibilities and tasks. He says, if we're faithful over a few things, he will make us ruler over many. So what are we faithful in doing already? That God says do. Has he always already told us to do some things that we're ignoring? So we have to do what he has already asked us to do and do it faithfully and do it according to his will and his way. And then he will continue to give us more. He's not going to give us this huge task when we still have struggles working on the little things. It's not going to give us the solid food if we're still on the milk. 
Of course, there you go. So it kind of goes back to your point. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, meaning you don't have to be with the doctorate and all these other things in order for you to be called into what God has for you. It's that he won't waste what you've been through, but he may have something different for you. And so maybe one of the things that we might be able to discern where we're walking in our own calling versus what God has for us. And that's that it, maybe it satisfies for a time, but you always feel like something's missing. Like it's not God's best. Maybe. And of course, discovering that also is spending that intimate time with the Lord and being intimate in his presence and opening your heart and sharing with him. Why do you think God chose you? Because we're talking about shifting from where our experience is into a different realm. But why do you think God called you to do prison prevention? I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) I have no clue. I mean, it would have been the, remember I told you I was proud of the fact that I didn't know the difference, but maybe that's why he chose me because I, I was being all haughty about it. (laughs) Right. A little proud, but I mean, I think that's a lot of us though. I was honestly proud of the fact that I didn't know the difference between a jail and a prison, but pride is blinding. He doesn't like pride. You know, we can be proud of our kids. That kind of pride is okay. But just proud of the fact that I don't know the difference. Well, what does that say about the people in jail? What, you know, are they, God don't love them? You're right. <laughs> Certainly not something I would have chosen, but I will tell you, I am more fulfilled. I got companies $22 million contracts with the federal government doing military weapons testing, no less. I got a company, a $15 million contract with, with DARPA helping to put together the internet. DARPA created the internet. This is all the way back in 1990. I am more fulfilled doing this work of the clarion call than I have been doing anything else in my life. That is a sign of being in your calling, that fulfillment. You're fulfilled because God does satisfy. Like you said, there's there's not challenges, but God satisfies in the challenges. He's looking for that time when you sit down with him and say, okay, you know, I call him daddy. Okay, daddy, we've got a big mountain here, but I believe that you're going to deliver. Show me, show me what you want me to do. Show me what, who you are in this situation. And that's the beauty of the intimacy with God sitting down and actually doing your calling with him. And I love, love, love that the burden of our calling is on him. He's the one who carries the burden. Can you talk about that a little bit? What has been your experience of him carrying the burden? Well, when you say burden, what do you mean? When I think about burden, I am thinking about how it's going to happen. Who are the players that God wants in place? Resources, connections, oh, sure, all the ways sure. that God wants to make this happen. And you look at it and go, oh my gosh, or even an individual incident. Yes. So you're right. All of that, it's his calling. He knows what he wants to to do with it. He knows what he wants to accomplish through it. And he knows everything about it. So he only needs us to obey. He doesn't need us to come up with rocket scientist stuff. He just needs us to obey and yield our will to his will and let him work through us. And so I ask him, to guide my mind, my thoughts, my words, my actions, reactions, perceptions, my demeanor, my countenance, my attitude, my emotions, my body language, such that all that I say and all that I do will bless and glorify his holy name. And I mean it. And I mean it. And so obedience is the number one thing to do to please God. When you think about an eternal king who needs nothing from you, I think the only thing we can offer is an obedient heart. Yes. I think that's a form of worship and and our submission to his uh, sovereignty. And then we get the reward of his presence, his beauty, his kindness, grace, mercy. I could go on, but you get the picture as far as the exchange is his presence. And there's nothing more beautiful or precious than his presence. When Looking at the description of the book, seven major progressions of spiritual growth and development that we must all go through. Anything you want to touch on to pique the interest of the listeners about your book? God put each one of us on this planet for us to carry out a specific task or a specific assignment. And most people live and die, and they never know what that 
assignment was that they were to carry out. They're so busy focusing on the natural part of their life, going to work, going to school, cleaning the house, going shopping. And we have to do all those things, but we have to remember we're spirit. And, and we have to focus on the spiritual side of us. And so the more we focus on the spiritual side of us, God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. I can remember hearing, call this person, call that person. And the Bible says, in our flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Our flesh does not want to do what God wants. That's why we have to have that constant, intimate time with God, that intimacy with God, that obedience, and that prayer, so that we, our spirit man, must be in control over our flesh and over our natural decisions. If we let our natural man run the show, then we're not going to ever come into our calling. That's feeding the soul too. You're spending time and feeding that which you want to overtake the other. So it is an investment being made Yeah, you have in rewriting to. the lies of this world. I can remember when God would say, call this person, call that person. And I didn't want to do it. And so I did it. And I thought, I thought it was just me having an idea. I didn't realize it was God talking. And I didn't want to call the person. So I thought, huh. I'm not going to call that person. Hmm, I'm not going to call it. <laughs> and after, I kept hearing call this person or go here, or go there. I, would go, hmm, I don't have to do that. Hmm, I don't <laughs> Lord, thank you for grace and mercy. Amen to that. I'm, I'm <laughs> second that. But I ended up one day, I heard call this person. And as soon as I thought, hmm, I don't have to do it. I thought, that's not God because God doesn't talk like that. God doesn't say, hmm, I don't have to do this. Hmm, I don't have to do that. That is not God. So if it's not God, it's the adversary. And so I made up in my mind the next time I heard that voice that I was going to obey. And sure enough, I heard a voice call this person. I did not want to call the person, but I made myself pick up the phone and I made my, I prayed before I called. And ask God to guide my mind, my thoughts, and my words, and go before me and touch that other person's heart. Be open and receptive to my plight. I do that a lot before I make phone calls. And so I call the person. And as it turned out, the whole purpose of God having me make that phone call is because I have been on their mind and they wanted to bless me. Oh. So the whole purpose of the phone call was for me to get blessed. And here I'm thinking, I'm not calling that person. You don't know what God has in, plan, has in store. So just obey. Obedience is the number one thing. My father was the most righteous man I've ever known. He was a living epistle. And he never read the Bible to us. He was the Bible. And I remember asking him as a teenager, how, how do you please God? And he says, ask the Lord to search your heart and remove anything from your heart that does not please him. And I added to that, asking God to search my mind, my thoughts, and remove any thoughts that does not please him. Search my heart, search my mind, remove anything that doesn't please you. Give me a pure heart and give me the mind of Christ. I pray those on a regular basis. That's key. Because God only looks at the heart. God only all He wants is is a pure heart. That's a good point to make that it's that God only looks at the heart. Man looks how big your house is, how big your car is, how fancy you know this is. God doesn't look at any of that. He doesn't care whether you live in a hut or a mansion. How pure is your heart? And when people make you angry, you cannot do tit for tat. You can't yell at them because they yelled at you. You can't cheat them because they cheated you. You cannot do what the world does. We are in this world, but not of this world. And so if they are wrong, God knows they're wrong. God knows what they did. He'll hold them accountable. I used to ask God, why do they do this to me? Why do they be so mean? Why do they act like this? Why do they say that? And one day he said to me, I hold you 100% accountable for everything you say, everything you do. 
how you act and how you react. But I don't hold you at all accountable for what anyone else does. So that was very liberating to me. That was very freeing to me. I stopped thinking about why people act the way they do or did what they did because God saw exactly what they did when they did it. He's holding me accountable for how I respond or how I react to what they did. He's not holding me accountable for what they did. He's holding them accountable. That actually helped me see people who were being ugly. It helped me see that them that they were just in a really dark place at that moment. And yeah. it made me feel sorry for them. I was able to actually pray for them because I wouldn't want to be in that dark, ugly place. What is something that I have not asked you about that the listener must know? God has a plan for you. And God has a task that he wants you to carry out. In order to carry that out, he wants us to grow up into him. Imagine God is your trainer, your exercise trainer. So when you go through trials and tribulations, those trials and tribulations are actually God's spiritual barbells to strengthen our spirit man, to strengthen us to do the work that he purposed us to do because we are babes in Christ until we get stronger in the Lord. So the little trial represents a little bit of maturity, a little bit of spiritual growth. The bigger the trial, the more spiritual growth you will have. God is there with you through every trial. Just ask him to show you what to do. Ask him to lead you through it and ask him to strengthen you through it. Ask him to do the work through you. I offer myself to the Lord on a regular basis and ask him to fill me afresh with his Holy Spirit that he does the work through me. That's how the book got written. Because when he said, write the book, I said, Lord, I I have nothing to tell the people, so I ask you to write the book through me. So the journey, God wants to do a work in us, meaning mature us, purge, prune, and perfect us, build us up. He wants to do a work in us so that he can then do a work through us. We are not positioned yet. We're not ready yet. We're not mature enough yet until we first allow him to do a work in us. Meaning, are we still cheating? Are we still lying? Are we still being mean to people? Those are elementary things of God. So we've got, the book actually lays out the seven progressions that the Lord gave me. I didn't know this. So as you read the book, I ask you to read it all the way through, but I will tell you, just reading the book alone will not, you won't know what your calling is. It is called journey to your calling because you have to take the journey. The journey is a journey with the Lord. It is a journey allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you daily, all day, every day, in everything you do. And he will strengthen you. He'll tell you things to do and tell you things not to do. He will tell you people to call. He will tell you people to leave alone. God will purge, prune, and perfect you to become who he wants you to be and mature you to be able to handle the tough times. He will do all of that preparing you so that you can receive your calling. You won't receive your calling until you become a more mature person in the Lord. And that's a good note to leave on. It piques my interest to hear more about purge, prune, and perfect, because those are three things that are, will take quite a while to adjust, to understand, to make the mature decisions in order to get through those things, to succeed at each level. So that's a great note to finish on. I will add that he told me to do seminars and classes. And they'll be directly tied to the book. He also told me to be a journey coach. I never heard of such a thing as a journey coach, but that's what he said too. And I'm actually looking forward to it. I haven't started the classes yet, but I will. We do have a website, journeytoyourcalling.com. So I do encourage everyone to stay tuned to the website. If you go to the website, you can see a flip book where you can actually see the book 
and you can turn the pages of the book and read the introduction. You can read the forward. The forward was written by my pastor's wife. Uh, you can read the table of contents and see all the outline of the book and then start reading chapter one, all right there on the website. And if you order the book from journeytoyourcalling.com, it will be autographed when you receive it. Nice, nice touch. Yes. Thank you, Janice. I appreciate your time today. What a blessing you've been talking about thank calling you. and yeah. the purpose, the power, and that would be Jesus behind it. Amen. So thank you, Janice. I appreciate you, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.